0: You've listened to how story works, you've learned the concepts and have a solid understanding of narrative theory. So how do you apply these concepts to your work? I'm Lonnie Dyan-Rich and I'm gonna tell ya. 40 episodes of How Story Works, talking about the concepts, but what we haven't talked about much is how to apply these concepts to your work and the analysis of existing stories, and that's a more complicated process than it might seem, so I thought it would be a good idea to start talking about that now. One of the things you'll hear me talk about in my podcast is primary values, the things that you go to a particular story for. You go to romances for the love story, action adventure for the thrill, series for the world building and character development, horror for fear, mysteries for intellectual puzzling, that kind of thing. So every story has primary values, and I'm here to tell you, it is never strong narrative. Now that's not to say that narrative isn't important, it's hugely important. Clearly, I think so. As I teach in my classes, story is a train. The narrative keeps the train moving in a way that makes sense, but it's what the train is delivering, the cargo or the primary values, that's what matters. The cargo is about primary values. You build the train to carry the cargo. You don't create cargo to fit the train. So here's the biggest thing you need to keep in mind. Your work with narrative theory means using these tools and concepts to deliver that cargo as fast and efficiently as you can. But what you don't want is for draconian adherence to narrative theory rules to ruin your cargo. After all, the cargo is the point. For example, anyone who's been around me for any length of time knows that I generally give a severe side eye to prologues. They tend to be tracks of discovery writing that the author fell in love with and wanted in the book, so in the book it goes. Right at the top, giving us history and backstory, but having nothing to do with the now of the story. Sometimes not even having anything to do with our current protagonist or the major characters. These prologues just dive into the past. They delay the start of the story. They exposit. They're generally self-indulgent and they waste my damn time. So overall, I don't care for them. That said, that doesn't mean that the prologue itself is necessarily bad writing. I've read prologues before that were brilliantly, beautifully written while still being self-indulgent little time wasters. And prologues, like other maligned literary devices, do have their narratively defensible time and place. They just tend to be overused, and usually for reasons that are not narrative in nature, and as such deserve the severe side eye the same way that adverbs do. But just as you shouldn't throw out every adverb just because it's an adverb, neither should you dump a prologue just because it's a prologue. If a prologue carries its narrative weight, then fair enough. So how do you decide if a prologue carries its narrative weight? Pro means before and log means word. So prologues, by definition, are always part of the past. So you can't really defend it as being part of the story motion, but sometimes you can create a defensible prologue if you look at the primary values of your story. During our structure discussion, I talked about the prologue Entangled, and in that specific case, I defended that prologue. For one, it's part of the aesthetic of fairy tales. Fairy tales often start with prologues, the infamous once upon a time thing, which puts us into this space of magic by its association with these magical tales. It takes us outside of our current time and place and resets the entire environment for the story. For another, Tangled is a story intended for children to watch, and having Rapunzel's mother be revealed as a bad guy after children have attached to her as a safe person for Rapunzel can be a little traumatizing, and we don't want to traumatize children. Aside from that, however, the fact that it's Flynn Rider telling Rapunzel's story in the prologue and throughout the movie is kind of bullshit. That I would definitely change because it once again hands a woman's story over to a man to Tell. And we've had enough of that historically. Thank you very much. So would I change the prologue? Yes. Would I cut it? No. Just because narrative theory calls for something to be done a certain way doesn't always mean it's the right call. Recently in a class, I had my students watch Smokey and the Bandit, a completely ridiculous movie from 1977 starring Burt Reynolds and Sally Field. And the first thing we did was determine what the primary values are. What is the appeal of this film and how do we use narrative theory to fix its many problems without stepping on that appeal? First, this movie is screwball, so we want to preserve the ridiculousness of it. We don't want to step on the outrageousness of the characters or even the silliness of the goal itself, which is to transport beer illegally across state lines from Texas to Georgia for bragging rights and some money. We want Bandit to be his fun loving self. We want Frog to be feisty and adventurous. We want Snowman to be the wild best friend. And we want Sheriff Buford T. Justice to be an over the top villain. Next, we identified the problems with the story. For one, Bandit is lacking a strong ASPA goal. Remember, ASPA is active, specific, personal, and achievable. While his goal is achievable, active, and specific, it's not personal, and that's a problem, because that diminishes our investment in the story and in Bandit as a character. Also, Bandit's clearly our protagonist. Not only do we see things from his POV, and he provides the motive force by pursuing his goal, but his name is in the title of the movie. However, there isn't much at stake for him, aside from the bragging rights for doing the impossible, so there are some positive stakes for him. And he might get thrown in jail, so there are some negative stakes for him. But it's not like he seems to mind the idea of going to jail, and he doesn't seem all that terribly invested in having the bragging rights. Bandit doesn't seem to mind the idea of anything, really. Nothing matters to this guy, so he fails to have anything at stake personally. His best friend, Snowman, has a worse problem. Not only is he not specifically motivated to go on this run, aside from it being a little fun, but he has every reason not to go, as his wife actively threatens with leaving him if he does. Even though Snowman is not our protagonist, he is part of a group protagonist with Bandit as they share in the overall goal, so having some idea of why he's going on this trip would help our investment in and enjoyment of these characters in pursuit of this goal. Frog, the runaway bride slash hitchhiker, has some great motivation of her own. She's running away from marrying the doltish son of the antagonist, but it's not really used in the film. She's a little more than a quirky romantic interest for Bandit. And then we have the antagonist, Sheriff Buford T. Justice, a racist, misogynistic small town sheriff who is in pursuit of Bandit outside of his jurisdiction because Bandit raced through his town. Despite the fact that his son was left at the altar by a frog, which could provide some motivation for the chase after Bandit picks her up off the side of the road, he doesn't seem to care about that, and neither does his son. So we've got a load of ridiculous situations, one after the other, never really escalating as we run from Texas to Georgia, and while it's a fun movie, it is not a strong narrative. The question you might be asking yourself is, so what? If it's enjoyable, if it hits its primary value targets and does what it sets out to do, who cares if the narrative is weak? Didn't you just say that the primary values are the ones that matter, Lonnie? Well, yes, I did. But here's the other thing. A movie, book, TV show, or any other narrative form can be enjoyable without a strong narrative underneath. But a strong narrative will always make it better. Every primary value you hit without narrative, you'll hit more powerfully with it. Narrative is like the seasoning you put on food. It's not the meal itself, but it makes the meal worth eating. All right, so back to this insane movie. There are loads of things you can do to make the narrative work. What we're lacking with Bandit is a personal goal and high stakes. What we're lacking with Sheriff Justice is the same. Any reason why he's so hell-bent on getting Bandit that he will risk life, limb, and his job to get him. And while Frog and Snowman are secondary characters, they also have motivational problems. Snowman doesn't appear to really need or want the money. And Frog isn't all that worried about Junior and Justice, who also don't seem to care that much about her also junior it's kind of a doofus so the believability of frog even agreeing to marry him in the first place is seriously at risk so what if we made it so that snowman and his wife and their 85 kids were about to lose their home if uncle bandit didn't take this job and what if bandit had been arrested a number of times and if he gets caught once more he goes to jail forever and what if frog was running from junior who had been beating her And what if Sheriff Justice was after them, not just because he's a crazy asshole, but because he wants Frog to marry Junior so he can keep her quiet about his son's abuse and also have some sort of sick access to her? Well, all of these moves solve your protagonist, antagonist, and supporting character problems, but they also ruin the primary values and tone of the movie, making it much more serious and much less ridiculous than it was originally intended. So what if we lightened it up just a bit, but still provided some personal motivations? Let's say Bandit was about to lose his car, the car that means so much to him as a blocker, which is the guy that drives super fast to distract the cops while the truck driver speeds happily through town unmolested. So that if he fails to get back in time and collect his money, he loses that identity. What if Snowman's wife, instead of threatening to leave him if he goes on this adventure, tells him to go and have a great time and bring her back a souvenir for her collection of memorabilia from his wildlife? What if Frog was conning Junior and never intended to marry him and ran off with some valuable family heirloom and the sheriff is in pursuit of her to get it back? You'd have to do some juggling later to transfer Justice's antagonism from Frog to Bandit. Say, Frog gives it to Bandit in payment for him getting her the hell out of Dodge and Justice hears that Bandit has it. Yeah, that'll work. Now, you've also got a big problem in Justice as a character if you're looking at the character triangle. He's all weaknesses, no strengths, and no vulnerability. Ordinarily, that's something you'd want to fix in a character, but Justice works because he's an antagonist in a ridiculous, over-the-top comedy. He can get away with being an over-the-top, ridiculous villain because of the primary values of the kind of story he's in. So in that case, you can safely release narrative theory for a little while in service of the primary values of that story. And that's okay. Look, here's the bottom line. You use narrative theory in service of your primary values. You don't adjust your primary values in service of narrative theory. While some writers will want to turn to narrative theory to make all the decisions about everything so that they can have something to put their backs up against in this wild, unfettered space of creativity, that's not how it's supposed to work. You have to make judgment calls, allowances, and adjustments as you go along. The more you practice by using narrative theory to fix stories that aren't yours, the more adept you'll be at fixing your own stories when the time comes for that. Okay, that's it for today. If you have questions about how story works, call 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447 and leave a message. Or you can email me at Lonnie at com, or contact me on Twitter at Lonnie Dying Rich or at Chipperish with the hashtag HowStoryWorks. How Story Works is a free college-level course in narrative theory and is entirely supported by listener donations. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help keep us in production and gain access to exclusive Chipperish content and a community of smart people who love stories. Visit patreon.com slash for more information. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.